Monica, my name is Mike Emick. I'm with the Office of the Independent Counsel, Kenneth Starr. Can we get her out of the room, please? I mean, come on. No. Make her stay and watch. I want that treacherous bitch to see what she's done to me. Welcome, everybody, to a brand new episode of Schmucking Around. First, I gotta say this before we get into anything. Let's go, Mountaineers. Beat the beat the Virginia Tech Hokies today. Old rivalry renewed. So excited. Honestly, that game gave me a freaking heart attack because they blew a 20-point lead, but they pulled it out at the very end. So I'm very excited about that. You know, not excited about how it ended, but we got the W. So let's go, Mountaineers. Uh, all right. Moving on. This week, we're talking a lot of uh, very female-oriented, well, two very female-oriented shows, both on FX. I'm very excited to talk about it. I was very excited to watch both of these things. But before we watch, before I even tell you what they are, I need to get my guest co-host for the week, my guest schmuck for the week. And of course, we need a female voice to talk about these female-oriented shows. I welcome in my cousin, one of the classiest ladies I know, Danielle Kaplan. How are you doing today, Danny? I'm good. Thanks for having me on again, Sam. This is fun. And you are our first Midwest correspondent because you recently made a move to St. Louis. How are things in St. Louis these days? You know, St. Louis is great. It's my first time living in the Midwest and they know how to do baseball and beer. So I'm, I'm having a pretty good time. Uh, I'm going to ask you about baseball in a second. Not I'm gonna really ask you, but more like just rub it in your face. But we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um, but uh, yeah, we've had a West Coast correspondent. We've had a bunch of East Coast. We've had uh, like Texas correspondents and we've had Colorado correspondents. But you're our first. I, would, I wouldn't consider Colorado. Would you consider Colorado Midwest? I would say that's more West, right? That's West, yeah. So uh, you're, I'm going to give you the credit of our first Midwest correspondent. So very exciting. Very exciting. Um, but this week we're talking about, as I said, two very female oriented shows, the why the last man, this new sort of post-apocalyptic, uh, drama, I guess you could call it on, it's not, it's actually an FX show, but it's on Hulu, Hulu on FX, um, part of the partnership they have there. And then the other show we're talking about is impeachment, American crime story, all about the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky relationship and impeachment scandal. Um, on FX, not on Hulu. Uh, so for whatever reason, that didn't make it part of as part of the Hulu FX partnership. You have to use the Hulu app, which is uh, free if you can get somebody with a TV subscription. But um, anyway, uh, but before we dive into all that, um, I got to start with the sad news. This feels like we're doing this every week now, but Norm McDonald died this week. Um legendary comedian if you ask me i think most people are in agreement on that it was super sad i I was at work and my the guy sitting next to me said norm mcdonald just died and i i was like in shock like i had this moment of shock uh he died of cancer that he apparently didn't really tell anybody about um on purpose and just super sad i don't know how big are you a big norm fan 
Like, uh, how did that hit you? I was super shocked by it too. And, you know, I can't say that I've watched a ton of his stand up, but I know who he is. He's been in a ton of movies that I like clip seeing clips of him. Now I'm, I'm disappointed that I wasn't a bigger fan because everything I see from him is just hilarious. And I saw so many tributes saying how big of an influence he was on other comedians. And yeah, that one really got me too. I, I think that's a big loss. I mean, he has some of the greatest all time sort of SNL. He's like one of the great, particularly his weekend update stuff but also the stuff he did as Burt Burt Reynolds on the Je- on the Celebrity Jeopardy. I mean he has some of the all-time great SNL moments. Um you know a, an uncom like he was controversial in a lot of ways, uncompromising. I mean, he allegedly got fired from from um SNL because he wouldn't stop making OJ jokes and there was a produce there was a executive at NBC who was a big friend friend of OJ. So like a guy just like was willing to sacrifice one of the great jobs for a, for an improver for a comedian, just because he was unwilling to compromise himself for some asshole who was an OJ fan. Um, but you know, like, and he uh, that kind of continued. Like, he was uh, comedians talk about how important he was to the to all of their comedians, but he wasn't like the biggest name in comedy. And I think that's a lot to do with the way he was like unwilling to not. You know, he he was unwilling to like compromise his comedy for whatever dumb cause or whatever dumb times you know we're talking about now about how comedians are you know people tell a joke and all somebody gets pissed off about it and like you know it's like a whole thing so you know he's he probably wasn't bigger because of that but you know you, you see just some of the names of people who are very you know saddened by this who are talking about him and they're you know legends of comedy but uh, yeah, I was really, really sad about this. I love his his movie that he made, uh, Dirty Work. I don't know if you ever saw that. I didn't see that one. It's so good. It's so dumb. It's a dumb. I mean, <laughs> most, it, but it's like him and Artie Lang, and they start this business where they just like pay people pay them to like you know uh, get people in trouble. I, I don't know how to explain the plot very well in this brief second, but it's a funny movie, and um, yeah, I love that movie. You should watch Dirty Dirty Work in honor of uh, Norm Macdonald. I will. I will. Yeah, I was shocked by all of the I didn't realize how what a name he had within the comedy world. Like, obviously, we knew his name. He was somewhat of a household name, but I didn't realize the influence he had on other people until recently and how quiet he kept his illness. So I I was really shocked by that one. But, you know, we say rest in peace to Norm Macdonald. I don't know what to say there. I want to I want to keep, you know. <laughs> The two shows we're covering this week are both kind of a bummer in certain ways, but yeah. uh, I want to I want to move on to more upbeat things. I don't know, um, but uh, yeah, rest in peace, Norm Macdonald. We're pouring one out for you right now. I'm gonna take a sip of my beer. Anyway, moving on. Before we get to the, before we get to the news for this week, haven't talked to you in a while. I just want to catch up real quick. First, we teased it. How are you, the Jets and Mets? I called you a classy lady, but you're a Jets and Mets fan, so it can't be that classy, really. Yeah, uh, that's you know, how are you feeling about the Mets blowing this season and then the Jets season that just started? You know, I think as a Jets and Mets fan, you can't get your hopes up for anything. So it doesn't feel as disappointing because you knew it was coming. You knew that something was going to go wrong, they were not going to make the postseason. I felt it in my bones. I um I will say though that um did you watch Once Upon a Time in Queens? 
No, not yet. I do kind of want to watch that, though. It just came out this the other day, right? Yeah, it came out this week. It made me proud to be a Mets fan for a second. This is, like, by, by the way, this is like the 30 for 30 on the Mets team that won the World Series in, what, 86 or? 86, yeah. So, yeah, that's what she's referencing. Yes. Yeah. So that gave me a little bit of hope to know that at one point we had like a team that won something. But other than that, it's just been a disappointing season and quite honestly, pretty disappointing life of a Mets fan. <laughs> I'm I'm rubbing it in, but you know the Phillies have been disappointing as well. Although they're like they're ahead of the Mets right now and could maybe sneak in the playoffs, but they've been a big disappointment as well. But uh, you know, got to get my shots in on the Mets. They're going to be good eventually. Their new billionaire owner and all these good players they have. But uh, it's not stopping me from wearing my Mike Piazza shirt today. But it is not great. I don't know if I'd wear it. That looks like Dodger blue to me. I don't know. That's a Mike Piazza Dodger shirt. All right. I don't know if it's a Mike Piazza Mets shirt. It's a Mets shirt, Sam. Uh, prove it. Let's see. Where's right. the Mets logo? Okay. Blue. Okay. Green. All right. It says New York on it. Yeah. Um. But okay. I'm I'm done. Well, you didn't say it. the Jets. How like are you feeling? Like, is the Mormon savior is the is your your new savior going to be like the guy? It's a tough one. I didn't expect our offensive line to be this bad. And with Becton going down, I just worry that it's another season of, you know, is he a bad quarterback or is he running for his life? I It's hard to tell at this point. But he looked more comfortable. When he had time, he looked comfortable. So I have, again, high hopes is hard. So everyone out there, we are going – all both our family so we're like this is the same side of the family by the way that is like the philadelphia and somehow we got the my other side of the family is all jets but like somehow on this side of the family i get it too and uh we are all going to see the jets versus the eagles in december in new york or in new jersey technically and um very excited for this but i'm like more excited now because i was actually nervous the jets looked like they might be a decent team this year at a certain point and it doesn't really look that way at all anymore. Like they're reverting back into the jets of old. So I was nervous that we would go to this and then it looked like the Eagles would be bad, but they might be good. So I was nervous that we'd go to this game and like, we'd have to deal with it. A jets finally beating the Eagles and ugh, that would have been the worst, but it doesn't look that way. No, looks- no. And the last time we went to a jets Eagles game as a family, the jets got but the, blown out. But the, yeah, the Eagles were good that year and the jets were not good. So, but it looked yeah. like this year might be like, the, the year that was different, right? It looked like the Eagles were going to be bad and the Jets might be decent, but it doesn't look that way. <laughs> it is week yeah. one. So, you know, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? This is this is three months away still. So, uh, all right. I'm done rubbing it in. But I do want to ask, you know, you, you're out doing doctor stuff in uh, St. Louis. So I, I, get, I get that you're busy. But have you been watching anything recently? Is there anything new that's come out that's like, I'm just curious what 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 have you been watching that you've been like excited about? So, you know, I'm a little slow in the uptake. I think with most things, um, once things come out and then people constantly tell me to watch it, eventually I'll stop being stubborn and watch it. So I started Ted Lasso recently, and I'm so to me that's like the best thing on TV. I love it. Well, are you caught up on it, or are you still catching up? I didn't watch last night's episode, but, but I caught up on it. You caught that. up till till last night. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, I this is, I was hoping something like this happened because we can take a quick detour. Um, I wasn't sure. I didn't. I didn't know what you were gonna say, 
But um, I'm glad that this kind of happened. I want to take a quick detour. I'm going to say that last night's episode is a kind of one-off. So it's not going to – I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to say anything about last night's, but it, it doesn't really impact the, the the broader story that's that's been happening so far. But what have you thought about the second season? I assume you loved the first season like everybody in the world loved it. Like what have you thought about the second season? I love the second season too. Um not as much. It's, I don't think the jokes are coming as quickly, but I think the development of Roy Kent is really what I'm here for. I love his character development. I love his scenes with his niece. I think that that is what, as opposed to like the first season where I thought it was like really smart writing and jokes, the writing is still good, but I think the focus has just shifted a little bit. And so we, we talked about this, this, the season so far last week when I had Pat back on. And um, he was very critical, but he does like it. Like, but he spent most of the time just discussing the things that he doesn't like, which made it sound like he's very negative. But overall, he said he's still in on, on board on with it and he likes it. But uh, uh, I think this season suffers, and we mentioned this, um, they, Apple ordered two extra episodes, right? So they had a 10-episode arc already figured out. Like, even before the first season, I think, really got finished. And then Apple ordered two extra episodes. And those two, are, to me, are quite clearly the Christmas episode and the one that was last night, which is why I say it kind of doesn't really impact the broader story. Those are, to me, are clearly the ones they added because they are kind of one-offs. They're kind of, like, separate from the main storyline that's going on. And I think both hurt the season overall not that they're bad episodes I actually like both of them on their own but they hurt because they like kill the momentum they break it up where like things that were happening you kind of get distracted by it and you don't remember like specific things that they set up in the plot right. um i do feel like the first three episodes were a little disjointed like some characters were kind of not focused on enough but overall i think as i said last week i don't want to rehash all my arguments but uh, I really like this season. I think they've done a great job of setting up some like great things. I want to, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but like we can uh, come back to it when it's over, whether you, I'm glad you're a lasso fan. Cause maybe I'll, it'll be you. Maybe I'll have like a, a multi-headed conversation on this, but, um, yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I'm really excited about this season as well. It was hard doing an episode last night that, uh, doesn't really focus on what happened last week's episode, which is what the problem I had with it. It really broke the emotional momentum that you got at the end of last week, which had like a lot of big emotional moments in it. So that was the problem, but it, it was an enjoyable episode. If you just take it on its own. I think that's a fair assessment. And you're Troy, I, I see what you're talking about with the episodes that kind of, at least with the Christmas episode, how it doesn't really fit. I love that episode as well, but it did feel like the whole episode was just building so Rebecca could sing something. Well, <laughs> and, yeah, and and uh, the thing, so this is like this is soccer in England, right? Which the soccer season in England goes from like August to May, and Christmas, based on like how the season is progressing in the soccer world, that made sense, right? Like it made sense because they would hit Christmas, right? The show's going to end before Christmas. Um, however. Pat said this, it probably would have been a better, like just do a Christmas episode that you release on Christmas. That's kind yeah. of a one-off. Like 
it makes sense placed where it was, but it just it didn't make sense. And like one, it was just weird, jarring for an American audience to see a Christmas episode like that. We don't have the obsession with the Christmas episode. Like in Britain, that's a thing, right? Like um, British TV, they do Christmas episodes of all their shows. We don't really have that sort of same thing uh, here. You know, most shows take off like December because nobody's paying attention. So it would have been better that way, but I, I understand why it was placed where it was, but it just, to me, it really broke up the momentum that the season was trying to build. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that said, loving the season, loving the season. I'm glad, uh, glad another lasso head. I don't know. What, what do you call the lasso fans? The, uh, I, don't I don't, I like a lasso head, I guess. I mean, his name is lasso. So it should be something like relative to, you know, lassos or horses or something, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, there's some, there's something there, you know, the fans of different things get names now. So we got to, we got to figure this out. There's got to be. We'll, a... we'll consult my brother. I think he, he's got a good head for this. He doesn't, I don't think he's watching. Well, last time we mentioned Ted Lasso, he was like, what? He had no idea what Ted Lasso even was, which was like unbelievable. Cause it was the show everyone's been talking about for like the last year. But, uh, <laughs> he's on board now. I spent an entire weekend making him watch all of it. So okay. Up. <laughs> all right. Good. Good. Anything else? Any other, uh, Anything other shows? You mean you said you nothing else? No, I mean watching a lot of football. Watched Lord of the Rings for the first time. I feel like I'm really in the franchise now. Whoa, whoa, hold on. I know. First time. First time. First time. First I know. Time. I know. I have to explain it to a lot of people, but I did it. I loved it. Might watch it again. Did you watch like the super long extended versions, or did you watch like the originals? I didn't feel like I could just jump into the extended version. That seemed like a big commitment. Yeah. So my second watch through. Did you watch The Hobbit too, or you just? No, this is like a very new thing. <laughs> this is unbelievable. I can't believe you never saw Lord of the Rings. Huh. Uh, but we'll save that. I'll save all those questions for another time. Um, but let's let's start talking about the news for this week. There was actually a lot of news, but I want to keep this focused on the story we keep talking about every week. Hopefully, this is the last time we'll mention it because it seems a little bit settled now. Jeopardy. All right, first of all, you, you I know you're a big Wheel of Fortune. You actually like had a friend win on Wheel of Fortune one time, but yep. are you a big Jeopardy person as well? So I watch Jeopardy every night. Huge okay. Jeopardy fan. So you are invested in this ridiculous... What? ongoing stupid story um stupid because they should have like had this figured out like at the end of last year when alex trebek died but they decided to have an idiot run this whole search and then he screwed everything up but yeah. uh we reported last week that mike richards was finally out uh, of jeopardy period like he he got out as the uh, executive producer or it was two weeks ago i guess uh they fired him as the executive producer mm-hmm. well now they have announced that Ken Jennings, the former longest-running champion of all time, uh, I believe he's made the most money as well, um, he is going to be the host for this year, along with Mayim Bialik, who is going to continue doing these special primetime episodes. Uh, my guess is he'll end up being the permanent host, but they just said this year. Um, and then there's like a two-hander story because LeVar Burton – did a interview with Trevor Noah on the daily show where he 
paraphrasing, but he basically said like he wanted the job at first, but when it was kind of clear to him that they weren't going to, they didn't even like bother to really consider him. He doesn't really want the job anymore. He's going to like do his own thing. I made it public that I wanted it for myself, that it made sense to me. And, and they were all about it. Well, it, 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 and it made sense. It made as much sense to them as it did to me. Right. And, um, and so they, they wanted it for me as much as, as much as I wanted it. The crazy thing is, is that, you know, when you set your, your sights on something, you know, they say, be careful of what you wish for. Because right. what I found out is that it wasn't the thing that I wanted after all. What I wanted was, what I wanted was to compete. I mean, I, I wanted the job, right? But then when I didn't get it, it was like, well, okay, well, what, what's next? And, and so the opportunities that have come my way as a result of not getting that gig, I, I couldn't have dreamt it up. So it's kind of a two-hander story where like LeVar Burton is now saying he's out, period. The guy that most people I think want. And then Ken Jennings will have the job at least for the rest of, I don't know if it's just the rest of this year, if it's like a year starting now. I don't know exactly what the, um, the date limit was there, but anyway. What are your thoughts on this sort of Ken Jennings in, LeVar Burton out? Yeah, I mean, I'm with you. They couldn't have botched this worse. I mean, come on. This is Jeopardy. People take this show very seriously. I don't understand how we got to this point. But I will say I was super excited to have LeVar Burton as a guest host on the show. I was looking forward to that. So I thought him being in the running kind of to take the job would have been cool. But I love Ken Jennings. I'm totally on board with him. I hope they hire him as the long-term host. I really enjoy, I thought he did a great job. Yeah, he was the uh, the second, right? Or the, he was the first or the second guest host after Alex Trebek died when they came back. Mike Richards was, uh, Mike Richards might've been the first. I can't remember exactly, but he was either the first or the second. He's the guy, of all the, the guys, He him and like Buzzy Cohen and like, I think they might've had one other guy, but he there were the only three who were like people who were, um, involved with the show. He was a contestant. He was the, the greatest contestant they ever had, really. You know, um, his, his nickname is the Jeopardy guy. So, um, you know, it makes sense. And he did do a good job when he hosted. I, I remember watch, that he I probably watched his episodes the most. Um, and, yeah, he did a, a, did a very good job. I was on the LeVar Burton thing because I just think it makes sense. I mean, like, I thought he, you know, but maybe he's too big of a celebrity. Maybe he got too, like, the noise got too loud. Also, you know, I can't stress enough that they botched, all the producers just botched this, like, particularly Mike Richards. But so they, he, they were already, like, negotiating with, with Mike Richards while LeVar Burton was hosting. So clearly he was never even considered. Like, they got him, I think, because fans had mentioned him. But, like, yeah. they never even really considered him for the job because they were already – before they even got through with his episodes airing, like they were already uh, having Mike Richards negotiate a contract. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's a, it's just just a shamble. This whole thing. Uh, I hope I don't have to talk about it anymore. I hope it's just like the scandals stop coming, and uh, at least until they hire Ken Jennings full time, or or they figure out whoever the next person will be after Ken Jennings, like. We can just stop talking about this and Jeopardy can like be Jeopardy again and not be the yeah. source of ugh, agony. Ugh. 
I would love to see LeVar Burton back on TV, though. I think that people, I think there's a real fan base out there that are pulling for him to do something. Well, and, and the inter, did you watch the interview with Trevor Noah or did you, did you actually yeah. just read the article? Mm-hmm. I, I just sent you, I just sent you an article. I didn't send you the interview, but I did watch the interview with him and it was very interesting because Trevor Noah points out, right? He has so much clout, LeVar Burton, right? Like he was in one of the most important TV shows of all time, Roots, right? And then he was in another one of the more, I wouldn't call it important, but like a Star Trek, right? He was in Star Trek The Next Generation as one of the uh, main characters. So he has a ton of clout, but he spent his whole career after those shows, like doing Reading Rainbow, doing other things like, you know, teaching kids to read, like things that aren't going to make him a ton of money. You know, not that he necessarily needs all the money, but like he didn't do things that were going to make him super famous, more famous than he already was, or like very rich. Like he's doing things like, cause he, he values, uh, educating kids. Right. Um, so, and he's doing like a, uh, podcast now called, he's been doing it for a while. So like before the real podcast boom of the last five years, he was doing it before that it was called LeVar Burden reads where he talks about books and stuff. So, um, yeah, I mean like the guy could have, used his celebrity to be more of a celebrity but he didn't right he did it to like you know better this country for lack of a better so i, I just find that fascinating I, I wish him well i wish he was in in our consciousness more but um we'll see we'll see what this new game show he's coming up with is and hopefully it takes off uh but we're gonna we're gonna cut the news off for there. There was some other stories I thought about asking you about, but I didn't know how like you know you're you're in your doctor stuff now. I don't know how much you were like following the uh, ins and outs of the Hollywood biz, you know. So I don't want to like bore the rest of the audience or you with this stuff. So we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna come back and just jump right into uh, why the last man. Uh, stay tuned. Welcome back. Now we're going to discuss why the last man, why the letter Y, by the way, not W-H-Y, why the last man, uh, an FX show, but it's on Hulu for anyone who wants to watch it. There are three episodes out. You watched about two and a half. I only watched the first one. I actually only thought there was one out when I, when I told you to watch it, but it turns out they released three in the first drop. Um, but one was all enough to, I think, to get a sense of the show. Uh, but this show is basically a a some sort of virus kills all male animals, right? So human beings and animals kills all any male animal except for one guy, the guy whose name is Yurik, but he goes by Y. Um, you know, a hint at the Y chromosome, which is like what this virus is apparently targeting is anyone with a Y chromosome. So only people left are all female. Really unknown cast except for Diane Lane. So the star here, she plays like a senator who ends up becoming president by way of the, um, you know, line of succession. Uh, she, as, but um, she's like a Nancy Pelosi. I don't think she's a senator actually. I think she's a congress. She's like a Nancy Pelosi type, right? Like she's dressing like Nancy <laughs> Pelosi. Um, the guy who plays the Y, his name is Ben 
Schnetzer. I hope I pronounced that right. And then there was like another actress who's kind of, you've seen her in stuff maybe, or Olivia Thirlby. Uh, some other minor names you might have seen around. But um, really, yeah, Diane Lane is like the biggest star here. Um, Danny, what were your thoughts? You you watched ahead of me, like I said. What, what have you, your thoughts been on Why the Last Man? So that's the first thing that I wanted to say, which I thought was hilarious, was, you know, you introduce these shows as like female oriented shows and it's like conceptually it should be right. All of the men die. You would think that this show is going to be about women. And then it turns out to just be about this one guy, which I thought was hilarious because you would expect the show to be more focusing on the woman, but actually we're just focusing on this one male. Well, it, I mean, it is and it is. I mean, it's not, it's like, it is and it isn't. I, you're ahead of me, so you know a little bit better why the story ends up going. The first episode, he's he's not necessarily the focus, right? They're focusing. Um, it's really a setup for what the what comes, right? Like, so it's just telling it gets it sets you up like right up until the virus happens, and then that's kind of where it leaves off. So yeah, he's, he's a, then. So to kind of catch you up and the three episodes that I saw. Well, so. Wait, wait. Spoiler alert after so the first episode, I don't think we we're spoiling anything, but because it was in all the promos. So, you know, virus kills all men. That's the premise of the thing. By the way, this is based on a graphic novel. Um, so just if anyone's curious, but yeah, spoiler alert from now on, since you are a little bit ahead. Spoiler alert. Don't want to ruin it for anybody. Fair enough. It does become like how to protect this guy. Cause for whatever reason, he's special. So everybody's kind of focused yeah. on him, why semen. he's special his, and how to get him out of here. His semen, so. is, his semen is special. <laughs> yes. Apparently that's the thing. He's going to repopulate the world. The luckiest guy on earth. Yeah. So I thought that was funny, but overall, I really think like conceptually the show is interesting. I think that in a lot of other kind of these, you know, apocalyptic or dystopian type things, random people might die, but it's not necessarily all the men. So oftentimes you kind of have this uprising of men who save the day and kind of take over and do the stuff. So it really is up to the females to to repopulate or to make civilization again, something along those lines. Don't really know where this is going, but I thought it was an interesting concept. So, so far, I think it's pretty good. I also love Diane Lane. Yeah. Who doesn't love Diane Lane? Men love Diane Lane. Women love Diane Lane. Yeah, everyone loves Diane Lane. Um, yeah. I agree with you on the concept, although I think the execution, at least, again, the first episode, was a mistake. Uh, and I'll get to that in a second. But I like um, I like the idea of the show. Uh, one thing I like is you see a lot of undertones of like things that are problems in our society right now, like uh, division uh, racism, um, and they're, they're just sort of undertones in the first episode, but it's interesting idea to have those in here when you eliminate one sex from the world, right? Like what happens to, cause they, for instance, like they have this woman, I think she's the daughter of the president, right? Who dies, mm -hmm. right? He, he's a man, he dies. Um, she, he's the, and she has like three boy, two or three boys who are children. And she's seen like giving this sort of very like, um, one of these sort of very right-wing Christian women who's like, oh, our boys are under attack because they can't even touch girls anymore or they get in trouble. She's like giving some conference about a book she wrote. And it's like interesting about like, 
the idea of what happens to a person like that when you eliminate the thing that's pissing her off, right? Like it, right. they're just gone. So it's an interesting idea to bring that in and like how society, because your society is going to break down because of this virus. But like how do these people function when the things that like that animate them are gone? You know, like how did they change? Do they change? Do they focus their hatred on something else? So that's, I think that's an interesting idea that I, I don't, I'm guessing wasn't, I never read the graphic novel. I'm guessing this is like straight out of what we're, the little world we're living in now. So I don't think that that was probably in the graphic novel in the same way. That's just a guess. Yeah. And that's uh, Amber Tamblin's character who people might Was it Amber Tamblin? I, I thought it was her, but I didn't quite, I, she's like a little bit heavier. She didn't uh, look, she didn't look like Amber Tamblin as that, but uh, I, I was like, she, I thought that I was like, that looks like Amber Tamblin, but it didn't look like anyway. Um, but the, the execution thing that I find the problem is shows like this do this kind of two ways. One is the way they did it, which is like, they kind of start you in the real world or the normal world. And then they build up to the event. Others start you, this starts, I, I should rephrase. It starts the first five minutes to take place in like the apocalyptic version of the world, but you only see the guy why for a few minutes. Um, and then it goes back in time to pre the event. I think it would have been better to start that way. Like orient us in the post virus world, show us all the characters and then slowly reveal in flashbacks, like what their experience was coming up to the event. Right? Like what, like I think it might've been better that way because we would have been oriented in the, in the sort of chaotic world that would follow the virus instead of i don't know i just wasn't so like interested and in, some of the stories aren't super interesting to me um you know that wise story uh, i guess that come will come back but his story with his girlfriend i didn't quite even understand exactly what the she wanted to move to australia or something and he was like he's sort of a, he's by the way the son of diane lane that was kind of yeah uh revealed him and uh, olivia thoroughby is the daughter their brother and sister and they're the daughters of diane lane or the, the kids of Diane Lane. And um, anyway, and like, I thought the thing with Olivia Thurlby, she kills like her affair, the guy she's having an affair with right before everything goes down. So she's like, she murders the guy before he can die of the virus. Um, I thought that was an interesting idea. You know, like, what if you, you knew you're a murderer, but it didn't matter anymore because nobody was going to ever find out. Yeah. But um I just thought it would have been better if you start us out and more slowly reveal how everyone's experienced the virus event than it was building up to it throughout the entire first episode. That was kind of my take. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair. I don't know. For me, I didn't think, you know, I didn't think it was bad the way they did it. I kind of understood the timeline, but I do agree. I think there's some things that, they didn't explain, but then it, at least from what I've seen, they don't come back to that much um, or things they kind of throw out at you and you're thinking, okay, how is this going to fit in? And then it kind of doesn't loop, loop back in. So I wasn't sure what to make of her kind of murdering this guy. I wasn't sure exactly why that was like a necessary thing for her to do, but maybe it will set it up to be cool. Kind of that thought process of like, yes, she is a murderer, but he was going to die anyway. So how does this kind of affect? I don't know. Well, and I think it'll come in as like the guilt's there, right? Like mm -hmm. she killed the guy. I mean, he was going to die anyway, but she killed him. So now she has this guilt that, uh, you know, she wouldn't have if, if she had just like waited 
10 more minutes, you know. But there's also this other kind of part to it that the person who, so Diane Lane, like de facto becomes president because the whole succession line dies. And then the one person who is living happens to be her son. So I think that that is an interesting. Well, and and where I leave it, right. She doesn't know, like, is it the chaotic sort of, they're still in the chaos of it just happened where the first episode ends. So, you know, she would be unaware of the status of her children, um, you know, at the time. But uh, that's a bad look to public. The one person who's living is the president's son. That, it that definitely change. would be. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting take. Uh, then people might find that suspicious. Yeah. I didn't think about it like that. But yeah, I was like, oh, did she release this virus and kill all the men except for her, you know, except for her son? But uh, <laughs> that would be an absurd take. But it'd be funny if somebody has it in the show. Hey, wow. it, it's uh, quite a coincidence, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> There's, um, I'm assuming she'll find out at some point. But uh, yeah, as of where I'm at, she's now unaware of of her son being alive. She would probably assume he's dead, considering what she just witnessed, all these men just die. Um, and there's this other interesting character, which I, I didn't write down the actor's name, but she's the, the black woman who is, seems to be some sort of like, super secret deep cover agent for the government who like in the beginning of the show, she's like pretending to be uh, the boyfriend of some sort of white supremacist and then kills them all and like destroys this like Nazi neo-Nazi cell. And um, then they like give her a new identity and she goes and she's supposed to protect the president because there's some sort of like long con threat to his life. And then, you know, it ends up like as soon as she gets there, he basically dies. So interesting to see if that plays out like the the virus was this long threat that somehow some people knew about. Or she's an interesting character, though, because she's sort of a big mystery. Um, You know, that's interesting. I didn't think about the fact that there's kind of these two situations in which people die and she's there for both of them. I don't know how she plays into the story, but I mean, thus far, she's she seems pretty badass. She's like this super secret agent who is involved in the government. I don't want to give any more spoilers, so I won't. You'll learn more things about her, but she still is very mysterious. And I'm wondering if there's more to her story than they've been letting on. Yeah. And that's why I kind of like, imagine if you were, you flip the, how this show plays out, right? You start in the post virus event and she's already a mysterious character. Cause you don't know anything about her yet. And you're slowly revealing that she's like some sort of special she's a deep cover agent for the government. You know, like we actually don't know in the first episode, it's not clear if she works for the government or not. Um, you know, you, you would assume it is, but it could be some, someone else, you know, who knows. But uh, imagine if that's like slowly revealed, like it would make her so much more, she's already mysterious, but it'd make her so much more mysterious. Like you're only finding out because now I know that I know she's some sort of deep cover operative who was embedded with the KKK and now she was supposed to protect the president. Like I know a lot about her as, as little as I know about her. I know more than I would if you change up the, st- the, uh, the structure of the show, but that's just me. I'm going to, um, to, to wrap it up here on the talk here, I'll say that for me, I, I think I'm going to keep watching this. Uh, you're already ahead, but, uh, I don't, I didn't look up how many episodes it's going to be. I would assume like 10 or less, but, um, I, I, it's got my curiosity peaked for sure. Um, so I'll at least keep watching, 
you know, the first, the next few, there's three out right now. I'll watch these three. And, uh, you know, I, hopefully it goes in a direction that's very interesting. Yeah. I got to believe coming from a graphic novel that it does. So I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. We'll see. But, uh, we're going to just go straight into our next topic. Um, impeachment, American crime story on FX. Like I said, for some reason, this one's not on Hulu. It's only on FX. So you need to download the app. Um, but this is all about the Monica Lewinsky, Bill Clinton sex scandal and, and ensuing impeachment, uh, trial. Um, this is starring Sarah Paulson, who's completely like transformed as Linda Tripp, uh, Beanie Feldstein is Monica Lewinsky. Clive Owen is Bill Clinton. Edie Falco is Hillary. Uh, you also have Kobe Smulders as Ann Coulter. Annalie Ashford as Paula Jones. Margot Martindale, Colin Hanks, Taryn Killam. Some, like, you know, big names in this show. Uh, and that's just in the first two episodes that are out as of right now. So who knows what other, you know. Uh, Kevin Pollack was in there briefly. I don't know. He's going to. I don't think he's going to come back, but, um, you know, who knows what other names will pop up as we go on. Cause there's a lot of like very important people yet to be revealed in the story. Uh, anyway, um, I'll let you start again as the guest. Uh, what did you think of impeachment? Well, you know what? what let me, let me, before we get into the show, mm-hmm. we were both, you were way younger, but like very young when this was happening. I know I was not really politically conscious at the time so this was not on my radar the, the impeachment trial happened in 98 i think um or at least when that's when like everything really broke so very young i was 12 like I was seven. yeah uh so clearly you know but are you like aware is this like how you're finding out more about the story or are you were you more aware of it now like having you know gone back and read it somewhere else or, or seen something else? Yeah, I think I'm more aware of it now. I think we both listened to that podcast. Slow, Yeah, Slow Burn Season 2 covered the whole Clinton impeachment, which was very good and uh, very informative. And they do interview like Linda Tripp and stuff. So um, very interesting. But yeah, that's what you're talking about. It is, yeah. And I think the majority of my information or the knowledge that I have about it came from that. I was super young. Obviously, it's something that's in the zeitgeist. You get bits and pieces from here and there, but focusing on it as like an entire story, most of it has come from either slow burn um, or other places. Yeah, and I, I got I can't recommend slow burn enough. The interviews they got in that that was great. I mean, slow burn the podcast in general. I think they're on their. They just finished their fifth or sixth season of it, um, a few months ago actually, but. Uh, this it's a great podcast in general, but that was the second season of it, um, and it was really good. Uh, I should also say that Monica Lewinsky is involved as a producer in this show, so which makes this the first time she has talked openly in recent years about this um, this whole scandal, and she has really reclaimed a lot of her story her narrative here which she had no say over at the time in in the late 90s so it's interesting getting her perspective on this i have some thoughts about that in general but anyway now go ahead 
What did you think of the uh, the first couple episodes of impeachment? So I think my first thought, and you alluded to this in the beginning, was just the cast. The casting, I thought, was fantastic. When I saw Taron Killam's character come up, I was taken aback a little bit. I don't think I've seen him in such a dramatic role. And I <laughs> thought his first time on the screen was fantastic. So I was really he, excited to see he's him. He's playing uh, Paula Jones's husband. And I, I feel like he's doing an SNL character. Uh, he's doing like this Arkansas, you know, accent type thing. But anyway, sorry, I don't want to interrupt. I think he's doing it well, but I did think just the casting was great going in. I had really high expectations and I, so far the two episodes that I saw, I thought have been really well done. You know, the story has been told so many times. So I think the thought at some point is like, again, like we know all the details, but what makes this so unique is that you know, Monica Lewinsky is involved. So I'm hoping that her, so many people have told her story for her. I'm hoping that this gives her a little bit of ownership over it and, you know, perhaps provide some details or a take that we as the public weren't aware of. And and another thing I should have mentioned before we go on, this is American Crime Story is a a series. Um, So the first season was the OJ thing. Uh, The second season was about Versace, Gianni, the murder of Gianni Versace. Um, this is the third season of it, and it's done by uh, Ryan Murphy, who's super producer, but he did Glee, he did Nip Tuck, he did American Horror Story, uh, for anyone who doesn't know. Um, but anyway, I digress. Yeah, I the casting, so I'll start with the casting because you mentioned it. I think it's very interesting. I enjoy the acting. I think the acting has been great, but I thought that they were particularly... I thought the choices they made, particularly Beanie Feldstein as Monica Lewinsky and Clive Owen as Bill Clinton are interesting choices in casting. Uh, I'm not saying they're bad, but they're just interesting. I don't think that Beanie Feldstein, her, the way they do her hair and makeup makes her give a passing resemblance to Monica Lewinsky. But like, I don't think she really has Monica. I think they're purposefully cast her to make Monolisky look more homely, to be honest. Cause when in the nineties, she was like a very innocent. Th- and I think that's also a part of it. She kind of has this sort of young innocence to her Beanie Feldstein, mm-hmm. but she doesn't, I mean, Monica Lewinsky was a, like a thinner and a, you know, pretty, pretty woman back in the late nineties when this was happening. Um, she was 24 years old at the time. So, I think that they purposely are like trying to make her, I don't know particularly why, I don't know if it's like Monica Lewinsky, you know, I, and I don't want to denigrate Beanie Feldstein's performance because I think it's very good so far, but it just, I thought that was interesting. Like it, it, to me, they, they don't particularly look similar and it seemed like a purposeful choice to do that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know why though. I, it doesn't, it's sort of baffling to me. I kind of, I kind of disagree with you on this one. I felt like, you know, she wasn't incredibly well known to me. I knew her from Booksmart and a few other things. So I thought it was an interesting choice too. But then when I saw her in the role, I felt like she embodied it pretty well. Um, I'm not saying she doesn't embody it. I just think like she doesn't look like, I'm not saying she's not doing a good job portraying it. She just doesn't look like Monica Lewinsky to me. I just, I I wouldn't have, if if you asked me who plays Monica Lewinsky and obviously they're going to do makeup and whatever. She probably would have been toward the bottom of the list of people I would have thought that they would have chosen. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm glad that they went with somebody who they who didn't sex it up too much, honestly, because she was she was a young 
girl and like you know she did kind of put herself out there especially in some of the scenes where she just straight up tells the president she has a crush on him I was like the confidence of this lady but I do think she was super young and Beanie kind of brings that that vibe so I'm glad they didn't sex it up too much and make it seem like this was this you know seductress almost Mm. I can see that and she is age appropriate like she is probably I don't know how old Beanie Feldstein is but I I would guess she's close to the age of Monica Lewinsky at the time. So maybe that was part of it, you know, not casting an older actress and make her look younger. But, um, and then Clive Owen, I, I love Clive Owen. I think he's doing like sort of a bad impression of Bill Clinton personally, but you know, overall his performance is not bad. Uh, I just thought that was interesting too, that to go with like, cause he's got a, he's got a lot of makeup on. He's got a, like a prosthetic nose. Um, at times I can hear like Bill Clinton in his voice, but other times it just sounds like he's doing, and he's not acting so much as doing an impression of Bill Clinton. Um, so I, I don't know how I feel about that, but, uh, I think he's doing a good job. I like the chemistry between the two of them. Yeah. And I don't disagree with you on this. It's just so hard because Bill Clinton is such a public figure and somebody's somebody who's so unique. Like his voice is so unique. I feel like anybody trying to portray him is almost going to feel like a caricature. Well, and, and the thing is too, is like how many people do great Bill and Bill Clinton impressions, right? Like how many people we've seen on SNL and I would have been so, I just was thinking this while I was watching it. I was like, would have been so interesting to see like Daryl Hammond who did the Bill Clinton impression on SNL for a long time. Like, why not give him a shot? I know he's on a dramatic, he's a comedy guy, but like it'd be interesting to see somebody who's who's done this impression as a comedy bit, but like put it, put them, give them a shot to do it in a dramatic context and see how, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know if maybe they, they thought that, like maybe they hired a lot of Bill Clinton impersonators and it didn't, or they, they auditioned a lot of Bill Clinton impersonators, but I thought that would have been an interesting look, like an interesting idea. You know, I just don't think his impression is not as good as say someone uh, a lot of the people we've seen do it in public, like com- comedy from a comedy perspective. Do you almost feel like putting Daryl Hammond in there, somebody who's done it, is almost like would take you out of it a little bit? For me, I'd be like waiting for him to like hit the punchline. That's probably a fair point. That's probably a fair. I just thought it would be like an interesting idea, but you you might be right. Like it would definitely like already color people's perspectives on on it, you know, and it would remind people of the comedy, the the bits on SNL. So. That's probably a fair, fair, fair point there. But um, I want to talk about um, this. This show is coming out, obviously, in the post Me Too era. But what I really like about it is it's it's not devoting itself to that narrative. Like it's trying to be more true to the actual narrative, which Mm -hmm. you don't get a lot when it comes to this because it's so political in nature. Um, you know, the sides are so, the lines are so drawn here, but it doesn't, um, it doesn't take away Monica Lewinsky's agency, which a lot of people like to do, right? And they did it at the time and they still like to do it now for political purposes, right? But she was 24, right? She wasn't a child. She was, it was a, you know, a powerful man with a, a young woman, but she is clearly has agency in this story. She had agency at the time, right? Like, and she has agency in this story, which I like, right? I like not just portraying her, which is true to the, to the real history of it, as a victim who was victimized by the, you know, she pursued him, right? This is, um, she said this, by the way, this is what, like Monica Lewinsky's story, right? Like she said this, like she pursued him, right? And um, 
you know, he reciprocated. So neither, you know, that doesn't want to, I don't want to make it sound like it's not uh, wrong, right? Bill Clinton was wrong in every sense of the word, but I just like that they don't, it would have been easy in a Me Too area to like, to, in the Me Too era to per- portray her as completely the victim here, which yeah. she's not, right? She she was an adult who had agency and she, you know, she she's given her own agency in this story, which I really like. I really like that fact. Yeah, I think you're right. And I'm really glad that, you know, her voice is being heard. And I think something that this show does particularly well, at least so far, is give complexity to the characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I had that a similar note about Linda Tripp. Like, for all intents and purposes, Linda Tripp sucks. Like, she's just... She, she is, seems like... Yeah, she is a, a villain. One of the probably... <laughs> she's going to be on the bottom of this list, but she's one of the great villains of American history. Um, sure, and sure. but But to your point, like... I'll let you continue, but yeah, she, she is given more of a, a complexity to her character. Yeah. Cause you can see, you know, there's, she's so unlikable, but then she has these moments where she does seem genuine when she's talking about her kids in the beginning, before she finds out about the affair, when she's trying to help Monica adjust, there are moments when you see her be kind. And I think the show does that really well, gives complexity to the characters. Monica's not just a victim. She does have agency. Linda's not just a horrible person. She does have this humanity some level of humanity in her. So I've liked that about the show. Yeah. And I don't know if that's particularly true to history. Like the Linda trip had, you know, you, you see, you, you feel for her at times, right? Like they, they show, you know, she's, she's not portrayed particularly well in terms of like, you know, the motives that we know that she, she has said she had are, are evident here, but they give her a little complexity and like make her a little bit more sympathetic at times. I don't know that that's true um, per se, because she's on record as like, you know, she hated the Clintons. You know, she loved the Bushes. She was bitter that she got lost her job in the White House. She was bought into this. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the lawyer, Vince, uh, Vince Foster conspiracy, which, by the way, is like a precursor to all the QAnon stuff. They still bring it up, by the way, because this was like, uh, you know, this is where the whole thing started that the Clintons will kill people, you know, it was the Vince Foster thing. Um, Yeah. So if anyone doesn't know, Vince Foster was a, uh, a lawyer in the white house council's office. He killed himself in 1994 or something, but then this conspiracy theory spawned. Um, a lot of it came out of Watergate or not Whitewater and, uh, the Lewinsky scandal is that the Clintons had him murdered. And, um, you know, that's why it still persists that like the Clintons, had Seth Rich murdered and have all these people murdered who like wronged them, which is ridiculous. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I, I like that she's given complexity, but I just don't know that it's like really truthful, but it, it makes the story more compelling. Like it makes her a more compelling character than a complete villain that history will probably remember her, her as. Yeah. And I think that happens all the time. Like we want to vilify people and just say that they were like shitty people off, like completely shitty, but everybody has different aspects of themselves, which makes the story more true as you're saying. So I like that. And I like that they do the same thing with Monica. They show the good parts and the bad parts. And I like that. um, At least, you know, I don't know how much influence she had on it, but knowing that she was involved makes me give it a little bit more credence. And the other thing I like goes to the her and the relationship with Clinton is that this is fairly honest about the truth of the matter, right? Like I read some think piece before I actually watched the show that like he's such a villain in this show, which I don't think you know it does a good job of like by all by not by all accounts by a lot of accounts 
he really did have like this very uh, close relationship with her. Like it wasn't like this completely sexual relationship that it was made out to be at the time. Like, you know, and they say in the show, like that they, they often just would talk a lot and that they would give each other gifts. Like there was often, there was some sort of emotional relationship between the two of them that extended beyond. And, and they, they say this in the show and they show it as well, which I like that is giving more complexity to both characters. Um, you know, he'll never not be in the wrong. This just he'll never not be the wrong party here, but I like that it's portraying like what Monica Lewinsky has said as well, the real life one, that like there was really a relationship between the two of them. Like he really did care for her in a certain way. It might have been perverted way, but it, it was definitely like honest feelings he had for her. So I like that this show is is showing us that. Yeah, I think that's true, and it kind of evokes that in how they portray everything. So you can kind of put yourself almost in the shoes of Monica as opposed to the way that the media has portrayed her over the past X number of years. You can kind of think more about the situation that she was put in and how you might handle that situation. At least I would, because there's so much more than just, you know, her having sex with the president. It was all of these things, the relationship between them, the power differential. They all seem like people who were just looking for connection. You know, the president at one point says like, he was so lonely. So I'm glad that they're putting it in all of these different kind of lights. And you hit on something when you just, your comment just now that I want to talk about is this, this show doesn't just show you point of view of the women involved. Right. So that it's really as coming, at least in the first two episodes, it's really coming from the point of view of Linda Tripp, uh, Monica Lewinsky and Paula Jones. Right. That's the, the point of views we're getting here, but it doesn't just show you the point of view. It's like their perspective. So, and what I mean by that is to use an example from the show in the beginning of the first episode, when Vince Foster dies, um, the head of the white house council's office, I think it's Barry Nussbaum, um, was played by Kevin Pollack. He's like in the office and Polly or not Polly Jones, uh, Linda Tripp comes in and she's like, sees this guy walking out with a box and he gets on this elevator and he's holding the box and the box says white water. And then she's like, who told you you could take that box? And he very coldly and flatly says, uh, Barry Nussbaum. And I thought that was interesting because to me, that's like taking her perspective and it making it seem like a nefarious, like he's trying to cover up Whitewater and hide these files. Like from when that's how Linda Tripp saw it, right? That's how she has said that. So I think that that's like purposefully done. So it's like meant for us to evoke her perspective, not just like, seeing it just seeing like what she was really thinking at the time because you you know you can imagine somebody's relaying a story and somebody says something to them in the story and you're hearing it from them and they take like a different perspective of what that was said than maybe what was really intended right like you know somebody says something innocent and, and then like that innocent thing is twisted and perverted and because they have some sort of political viewpoint or they have some sort of personal issue whatever you know so like I feel like that's what we're getting in that scene and, and they do that all the time here. And I, I really like that, that we're not just sort of we're getting like perspectives and not just points of view. Yeah. I'm interested though, Sam. I I really like your point there. And I totally was, you know, picking up on the same things. But I'm interested in what you think of their portrayal of Paula Jones. I I actually like it because it's it's also complicated, right? Like everyone thinks she's adult, right? And she kind of is, 
But like she, she's being taken advantage of for, and this is the, this is going to jump. I like you asked this question because it's going to jump into the last point I want to make, but she's being taken advantage of by her husband, by everybody she's being taken advantage of. She's being used and abused, um, not abused in the sexual sense, but abused in like just for everyone else's political games and monetary games. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's just sort of this innocent sort of character who they don't. And, and here's the point I wanted to make is, the women in this story, particularly Lewinsky and Paula Jones, um, it shows like all the political motives and all the personal motives that everyone had to to use them and abuse them, to use that cliche again, all over the place in this story. But it doesn't minimize the their experiences or like what they claim happened. You know, so Paula Jones' story, like for all intents and purposes, this show is is asserting what she says is fact. Like we don't, you know, and most people would agree that he probably did do something to her in this hotel room, but it's never been like proven fact. And the fact that it got so political and so wrapped up in money and whatever, like it became so hard to accept her story. Um, And, you know, this is just true. Like, but this show is taking her side. This show is saying like, we believe you, Paula Jones. And then it's showing like how she was just like taken advantage of by all these different people who came in and out of her life um, because of the politics of the situation or because of the money that was, you know, her husband seems to want money. He wants, he wants an acting gig, which I thought was a hilarious, uh, like Bill Clinton could, you know, get him an acting job um, (laughs) on uh, what was it? Uh, What was the show designer designing women or something is the show. He want, something like that. He wanted a gig on designing <laughs> women. So, so I thought that was hilarious. But um, yeah, like, it, you know, she's just being, I, I like her portrayal because it's it's not minimizing the fact that something did happen to her with Bill Clinton in a hotel room, but it's just showing like how political this got. This whole thing, yeah. her thing and Monica Lindsay's thing got immediately. Yeah. And how much I think, you know, as you touched on, her story got manipulated by other people. Like she came to the, I think it was the initially when she met with a lawyer, she wanted to tell her story. And then her, since her husband wanted an acting job, you tack that on and that kind of minimizes her credence in that situation. So she had this story, which, you know, you want to believe her, but at the same time, when she says, Oh, you know, I want this story. I want an acting job in retaliation or you know it will go away if they give him an acting job then it starts to make her story not as credible and that's really sad because i don't think that was her intention it's just things that other people put on her that she was just too naive to pick up on at the time yeah and and she she goes into this lawyer there's some lawyer in wherever they i guess they're in la i think they're in la at the time but um she goes into some lawyer's office and and this is like she just told her husband that uh, a thing happened with Bill Clinton in Arkansas and they go in some random lawyer's office and she basically reveals to this lawyer, I think surprisingly to him that Bill Clinton had exposed himself and asked her to, to give her a blow, give him a blow job in a hotel room in Arkansas. And he's like shocked. And he, you know, rightfully says like, I don't have the clout to sue the president of the United States, but like if, you know, we can get your story out there and then, you know, things might happen. So he takes her to CPAC and then you can imagine going to CPAC just devolves everything, right? Like yeah. everyone gets involved for their own purposes, but 
she is just sort of following her husband's lead because I think he smells like the blood in the water. But when she's relaying her story to the lawyer, you can see that it's genuine. Like you can see that she's uncomfortable. You can see that and she just kind of like keeps looking at her husband. So whether that's true or not to the history, this show is asserting it is true. And uh, I, I appreciate that. It makes her character better, right? Like she, again, is she's a more sympathetic character, the real life Paula Jones in, in history. Um because she was probably telling the truth, but you know, she's also like, will let herself like Donald Trump invited her to some debate, you know, as a prop against Hillary Clinton back in 2016. So, you know, it, it's so hard now. Everything's political now. It wasn't, it was bad then is not, it's worse now, but anyway, let's, uh, let's avoid the bringing today's politics into this, even though they're, they're present there and which is another interesting aspect of the show, but you know, ugh. but, uh, as far as the show, look, American crime story is a, a great show in general, the first two seasons of it. And I think this is going to be equally as great. Um, so I, I'm excited for this show. I don't know how many episodes it is, but I, I'm guessing about 10. The other seasons were 10, 10 a piece. So, I'm excited to see where this show goes and you know, I know where it's going to go. I know the story, but I'm excited to see this show unfold. Yeah. I'm excited to see, you know, you know, as I said before, we don't have to believe it again, but I think this is the first time that the story from start to finish has been told with hopefully Monica's voice infused into it. So again, we know where this is going, but to see things from her perspective in a way that maybe we haven't heard it from before, or, you know, to get a different view and get more complexity around it. I'm really excited to see where this show goes to. And again, the cast is just great. So I'll watch anything with half of these people in it. And I meant to mention this, but like Monica Lewinsky is like really fighting for the honesty of the story because the, they did the scene that was sort of famously revealed in the uh, independent counsel's investigation where she flashes the, the strap of her thong as Bill Clinton passes by um, in the hallway. And uh, she wanted that in the show. Apparently they weren't going to put it in the show and she wanted it in the show because it's true. Like it, and I appreciate her dedication to telling the true story instead of a narrative of the story, which is, you know, we've, we've mentioned how I think that that's playing out now, you know, in, in her relationship with Bill Clinton and whatever. And I really like that. I really like that. It's not going to take, um, easy doors in the me too era to take right like it could have taken easy easy pass to this being a very unrealistic portrayal of the story but it but it's so far it's playing out very at least true to what the record shows you know and and mostly mostly obviously they take some liberties um but as any show does but mostly it's there so i really like that and i, I can't recommend it enough you know mm -hmm. uh I don't think we'll probably come back and talk about it again. Maybe if they're, because you know everyone knows how this is going to end, right? Unless they pull a Tarantino and just sort of murder Bill Clinton, well, yeah, you know, yeah, or whatever, you know, at the end. But uh, you know, that's not what this show is. So yeah, we know how it's going to end. But I really can't say enough. Ryan Murphy is one of the great producers out there, television producers. So have faith. I also want to say that I think so far Sarah Paulson is doing. Oh. I mean, she can do anything, but I think her portrayal 
thus far, you wouldn't, at least I didn't know it was her until I looked it up. It doesn't look like her and her acting is just phenomenal in this one. Uh, we should have said that. Yeah, she is so good. Yeah, I did mention that she's like in a lot of makeup and, but she doesn't, she doesn't look at all like Sarah Paulson, but yeah, she's the star as she is in like every Ryan Murphy <laughs> thing. Cause she's in every Ryan Murphy thing. But um, yeah, she is a star. She's probably going to win some award for this because she's excellent as the villain, the Linda Tripp villain. Um, yeah, can't say enough. And I love how this show, this is the last thing I'll say. I love how it opens, the show opens uh, on the scene of this basically Linda Tripp's ultimate re- revelation of her betrayal where she finally, the FBI finally comes and detains Monica Lewinsky. And it's when I love... She's like, I don't know how this played out in real life, um, but she, you know, they take her and they take her up to some hotel room and Mona and Linda Tripp can't even look her in the eyes. And then like, as they sit down to start the interview with Monica Lewinsky, they have Linda Tripp in the other room and they're going to close the doors. And they, uh, she said, Monica, uh, Beanie Feldstein says, um, what's, I don't remember the exact line, but it's like, no, leave them open. I want to see, I want her to see what the fuck she just did or something like that. I love that line. I don't know if she, I'm guessing Monica Lewinsky didn't actually say that. Uh, like that would have taken some balls for a 24 year old to to say to some FBI agents. But um, I love the line. I like it's such a great line. It, it portrays the villain, how how villainous what Linda Tripp did was to her. You know, which will play out over the the course of the next few episodes. But I just I really like that start. I like that I like yeah. you know setting the setting the tone of it right there. Um, but anyway and to that point just quickly there was a line earlier that I picked up on where Linda Tripp said um, when she was kind of uh, thrown under the bus by her friend Kathleen for lack of a better word um, she said like I thought we were women supporting women which was just a really interesting thing to hear come out of Linda Tripp's mouth and I think that's how she sees it she she really I don't want to I don't know if it's narcissism or whatever but she's going to do whatever she's going to do and under the guise of well I was doing the right thing so for Monica to put her in that position and make her witness it I think is a really interesting dynamic too. yeah and she has this very twisted she's like a very selfish person and I think this is true of if you listen to the slow burn interviews she does um I think you can hear it in there like she was a very she had her own you know, she had her own moral compass, which was wrong. And she had her own like personal code, which was wrong or her own personal ethics. Right. And like, she thought she was right. And she felt wrong done by so many people. And she didn't give a shit who she like threw under the bus on the way to fixing the problems that she saw, you know, whether that was um, denying the sexual assault claim of her friend, Kathleen, who, um, uh, in the second episode is approached, she's approached to like confirm it and she knows it's true. And then she just says no as a revenge, like right? revenge. Cause she felt like this woman, Kathleen stole her job, which she didn't. And then, um, you know, that what she does to, to, to Monica, the way she like is so nasty to people at the Pentagon, you know, it, it's, it's fascinating. Oh, one last, <laughs> this is, this is just a funny thing. When, uh, when Monica Lewinsky shows up at the Pentagon, and they take her to her desk and she's like very, you know, eager. And she's like, uh, supposed to, I guess she's supposed to be a secretary for some, for some guy there. And he's not there. And she's like, anything, Mr. Blah, blah, blah. Once just let me know. And he, the guy who shows her to her desk says like, well, 
you know, you can start by reading those SOPs there. And there's like a stack of like four binders. And I was like, oh, that gives me nightmares. Because, you know, I've seen a million SOPs. Work, Flashbacks. Uh, like the, you get a binder like that. And then if someone tells you like, oh, you really should read the SOP. Like, fuck, I'm not reading the fucking SOP. Like, you see that thing? It's boring as fuck. You know, it's just like a bunch of like, it's really, it sucks. You know, so I've, I was like, oh, that's terrible. I, I feel bad for her already. But, um, they also throw out a bunch of acronyms in this too. And I was like, yeah, this is the government. Yeah. Throw out acronyms. <laughs> yeah. Get used to the acronyms, people. Um, but anyway, yeah, both. I think we're both on the train here. And I think everybody else should be as well. So, um, but with that, we'll wrap it up a uh, shorter episode than normal. Although, time wise, it probably come out. But in terms of content, we were a little bit shorter than normal. So, uh, but Danny, thanks for joining me on this very female version of Schmucking Around. I really appreciate it. Uh, I look forward to coming out and maybe doing a live episode in St. Louis. You know, I don't know when that's going to be, but I do want to go to St. Louis. Never been there. So oh, yeah, maybe we'll definitely. park right under the arch and <laughs> start recording. That'll look weird. Yeah. There's also, there's a bunch of places I got to take you to. So thank you for having me on. And I can't wait to see you in December, even though it's going to be miserable for me. Well, it's going to be very cold. So I'm going to be miserable. Uh, that'll make you feel any better. Like I'm going to have to drink a lot to feel warm. So yeah, I feel like our family's pregame pretty good. We can hold that part down a bit. <laughs> yeah. But it, you know, December in, you know, Meadowlands, New Jersey, it's going to be very cold. I'm, uh, I'm not looking forward to the cold bit, but I'm looking forward to the game. So uh, anyway, but uh, you can catch us on Instagram at Schmucking Around. Send us an email, schmuckingaroundpod at gmail.com. Uh, or just hit up the website, www.schmuckingaround.com. Leave us a comment. Uh, can't wait to see you guys next week. Talk to you then. Bye.